The reading this evening is from the book of Acts, chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood for the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of the Lord.
Well. Okay, let's own up. Who was watching the royal wedding? <laughs> you didn't see it. I was there. I was watching it. Isn't that amazing? Just to see that extraordinary pageant and pomp. And, um, <laughs> it was incredible. And, um, you know, there are sometimes moments, aren't there, where you, you, you feel like you're watching something historic. Yeah? I'm sure you've had the, that feeling on, on occasions. And yesterday, as I listened to Michael Curry's sermon, I thought, my goodness, this is extraordinary. Two billion people watching. The pressure on him to tone down his message. And did he tone it down? No way. <laughs> Wasn't it great? Wasn't it comforting and just thrilling to see in that, in that place. The best part for me of the whole wedding was when we saw the, the faces of people who were listening to him. <laughs> You're thinking they just couldn't quite get a hold of it, could they? They were expecting some sort of, you know, just sort of fairly standard and banal talk. And they found themselves confronted with fire. And conviction. And power. And, uh, and I sat watching that thinking, this is historic, this is extraordinary. That in our day, God should play a wonderful joke on everyone. Just when we expected it the least. There's an amazing gospel presentation that goes out to two billion people. Just wonderful. You know that something extraordinary has happened when the next day you open up the papers or you look in and everybody's talking about a sermon. I mean, isn't that extraordinary? The headlines of the Sunday Times and then you go online and on Facebook and on you know, social media, everyone's talking about that. They even call it now that sermon. The Sun called it an eccentric sermon. But no one's mocking it because it had the ring of truth. Isn't it extraordinary how the Lord can appear at moments when you don't expect it? The astonishing thing for me, beyond the, the power of that moment, was that um, it should be so... This, this talk that he gave, you know, remember he talked about the power of love? And he talked about Christ and the power of love to transform the world. That, that he should be speaking that sermon on the weekend of Pentecost. You know, I doubt if Harry and Meghan had that in mind when they chose their date, yeah? I shouldn't have think they even thought about the fact that it was Pentecost weekend. A friend of mine, Sally Hitchener, who uh, it was pointed out this morning, actually, Sally was sent out from here, from St. Barnabas. She wrote in Facebook this morning, early in the morning, and I loved it, so I quoted it this morning as well. This morning, she said, the church celebrates a day when an ethnic minority preacher preached an emotive sermon that went on too long, shocked those in power, and made some wonder if he was drunk, but that spoke of the passionate love of God, except that this one was 2,000 years ago, and it started the church. 
Because that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. Peter stood up in this Roman-dominated sort of colony, this, this Palestine with the Romans around, and, and, and he stood up in, in Jerusalem and he proclaimed a message that was so extraordinary and so radical that 3,000 people responded. It had the ring of truth about it. The extraordinary thing, of course, is that it wasn't the force of Peter's personality that actually influenced people. It wasn't the, the extraordinary words he used or the flourishing language. It was the fact that this was explaining that. Something had happened that, that required explanation. It's very interesting in the, in the New Testament, whenever the Spirit is poured out, there is evidence of the Spirit's presence. The Spirit is never simply an idea. Whenever the Spirit is poured out, you have to somehow explain something because there is something to explain that needs unpacking. The Spirit comes and lives are changed. The Spirit comes and people are convicted. The, the Spirit comes and healings happen. The Spirit comes and the kingdom comes. And so it calls out for an explanation and on that day, Peter stood up and he was explaining why this was all happening. And Peter, I'll bet you, had not expected that when he woke up in the morning. Because the Lord loves to surprise us and to come at times we don't expect. In the middle of a pompous, I'm sorry, a pomp and ceremony of a royal wedding. Who would have expected it? I love the queen sitting there. The queen loves the Lord dearly. And she's very dignified. But I bet she was rejoicing in her heart. You know, she's the only member of the royal family that got up this morning to go to church. She was there. Pentecost. And I bet she'd prayed and she'd prayed and she'd prayed. And the Lord came. And now today, people are having to explain it because something happened. And on the day of Pentecost, something happened. Something extraordinary happened, the Spirit came. Now of course, when the Spirit came, it wasn't just out of nowhere. There was a desperate thirst and hunger. Just like we heard yesterday, that we live in a world that is hungry for love. The world of the first Christians was a place where they were longing, there was, there was deep, deep longing. In fact, there was a whole Old Testament tradition of longing for the day when God would come and do something. Something that required explanation. So you see all through the Old Testament, these, these prophecies of a day will come. And actually the Jerusalem church are waiting too because they remembered Jesus' words. You will be witnesses. So they had purpose. They knew why they were there. But they also knew that Jesus had said, wait. Wait, wait, until you are clothed with power. Because the Jerusalem church, as we saw uh, last week and the week before, had purpose. They also had leadership. But they lacked power. And so often when we try and do things for the Lord, we can be full of our own zeal and our own enthusiasm. And we can think we know how the Lord's going to do it. Has that ever happened to you? 
but it lacks power. And we can say things and, and have as much conviction as we want, but if the Spirit's power is not there, things don't change. And then the Lord chooses to pour out his Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, something happens which is, which is just like, it, it comes in response to a longing that's been building up over years a longing for God to work. And, and in, the, in, the, in, the, in the lives of the, the members of the church in Jerusalem, this longing has been coming to a head for the last 10 days. They've been praying since Jesus ascended to heaven and said, wait, they've been praying. They've been praying a bit like some of us have been praying over the last 10 days, thy kingdom come. We've been praying, Lord, come. We, we need you, Lord. We, we, we know that as a church, we can't change our neighborhood without you. We know that our nation won't change without you. But for goodness sake, Lord, I know I can't even change without you. And so they were praying and they were, they were crying out to the Lord. And the Spirit came. And something changed their lives and the life of the world on that Pentecost day. It's like an overflowing. It's, it's, it's good that our theme tonight is the theme of fullness because fullness is written right through our passage. Look with me just at the first few verses if you've got your Bible. Verse, verse one, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together. Now notice in this passage how many times the word all comes. That's a fullness word, yeah? All. You can't get much more full than all, can you? You're looking at me like, I mean, all, all is pretty all-encompassing. They were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a, of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house. There's another word, whole house, where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Then all of them were filled, filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, now what's amazing in this passage is that we're going to see that, that there are like three windows that are opened into that longing, the way in which the, 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 the Spirit's coming just sort of responds to a deep, deep longing that's there in, in, in the people of God many, many, many years ago. And the first window that opens up to us here is a passage in the Old Testament where one of the, one of the Old Testament prophets, one who was particularly weird, uh, called Ezekiel, had a, yeah, he saw weird things, didn't he? He saw, sort of saw wheels turning in the sky and things. But, but he had a vision at one point where the Spirit took him and placed him in a valley full of dry bones. And the bones were separated and scattered and the bones represented the people. It was in the period of the exile, separated, scattered, and, and, and that no hope left. And God says to the prophet who's there surrounded by these separated bones, he says, he says, tell me, can these bones live? And Ezekiel wisely doesn't try and answer the question. He, he says, you own, alone know the answer to that, Lord. And then the Lord says this, he says, he says, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. 
And in the vision of Ezekiel, these bones start coming together. And then tendons and skin appear on them. And then he prophesies a second time and breath comes in. It's a bit of an echo from, from Genesis when God blows into the first um, humans that he creates and, and they become living beings. And here the, the, the spirit breathes life into this, into this collection of, of people and they stand as an army. And that's the picture. That's the, that's the prophecy. And, and, and the Lord says through that, I will send my spirit and the people will live. It comes in, in the exile, hundreds of years before Jesus. But there's a first window. When these, these disciples are there in, in Jerusalem together, waiting, and the text says there is a sound of a, of a rushing wind that comes. The word wind is the same as the word breath. It's exactly the same word. It's what we have, a, a breath that breathes life into them. There's our first window. What an extraordinary thing. Suddenly God is pouring out life. Makes me think of the song by Chris Tomlin, Awake My Soul, where it goes like this. Breathe on me, breath of God. Breathe on me. I come alive. I'm alive when you breathe on me. But the effect of the Spirit being breathed out on the early Christians in Jerusalem in our passage is really interesting. It's not, it's not as often we think each one of them receiving. It's that they received together, all of them, in one place. You see that? It's emphasized in the passage. This is a communal thing. Just like in Ezekiel's picture, it was a people who, raised, who rose up together. And here in, on the day of Pentecost, something happens to the whole people. God breathes his life into them and they come alive. What a picture of the church. Isn't that amazing? The church is a living community where God is at work so much so that it demands an explanation. But people who come through sense God's presence and say what is going on Paul refers to that in one of his letters he says when you welcome newcomers in just praise and worship and, and they will be obliged to fall down before God saying surely God is in this place because we can sense something and that's what happened on the day of the day of Pentecost the church came alive sometimes we say that it's the birthday of the church it's certainly the day when the church came alive because God's breath was breathed into them. And from this moment on, onwards, something will be different. Something happens now that requires explanation. They hadn't planned it when they got up. And remember, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. God's good, isn't he? I don't ever think anything good can happen before nine o'clock, but there you go. So they were all there together. And all of them are filled. And all of them receive tongues, as it were. But here's the amazing thing. The gift, the breath, the life that comes into them and the tongues that are given, the tongues of fire that rest on each of them are not given for them, but given for the overflow for others. Really interesting. Let me just read a sort of my own translation of verse four here. Um, and there appeared distributed to them 
tongues of, as of fire, which sat on each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them to speak out. Okay? That's literally how it is. Can you see? The Spirit then doesn't just, doesn't just cause them to, 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 to breathe, but causes them to, to speak. The amazing thing, you know, that we see in this passage is that, is that the tongues of fire that come down on each of them, and there's another brilliant symbol from the Old Testament of the presence of God, the tongues of fire are not just given to warm our souls. The Holy Spirit's tongues of fire are given to ignite our speech so that we can speak the words of God. Do you see that? It's not just given. I mean, it's right to pray that the Spirit comes upon us and, that, and sets our hearts on fire because that is the beginning of everything. But when the Spirit comes, he also comes to overflow to anoint us then so that his life overflows and other people see it in such a way that it demands an explanation. And so we see here in this passage, things are just overflowing, things are just opening out as we go on. In fact, it's, it's quite interesting geographically. Where, where does the passage begin? Well, it, it begins in a house. Remember that? Because it says the, the spirit came, the breath came and, and filled the house where they were sitting, okay? So we've got them like us here tonight. They're sitting, which is a pretty sort of stable, sedentary, um, immobile sort of position. They're praying, presumably, but they were sitting in a house. That's a pretty defined, contained thing, okay? But by the end of the passage, and we didn't read right to the end, but by the end, you probably know that the result of the, of the day... And Peter's remarkable sermon is that 3,000 people respond, okay? They're just the ones that respond. Now, I don't know how big their house was, but I doubt it was that big. In other words, something has happened between the moment when they received the Spirit in the house and the moment at the end of the passage when 3,000 people respond. Somehow, at some point, they've left the house. And the passage does not say, it doesn't say at any moment that they leave, that they go out of the door. Why? Because there's something wonderful that happens when the Spirit comes. There's a blurring of the boundaries. The Spirit comes and, and without even realizing it, you're out on the street. This prayer meeting suddenly just took a, on a life of its own and they, and they found themselves, they found themselves out in the, in the road and, and then people were hearing them and, and people were wondering what's going on because they started speaking in languages they'd never learned and then their people started gra gravitating around them saying, that's incredible, I didn't know you spoke Arabic. And there's this, uh, this remarkable sort of mix-up as the Spirit comes and shakes our frontiers and goes beyond the sort of boundaries that we put in place in our lives. That's exactly what happened yesterday in the wedding, isn't it? We had boundaries, our expectations, a formal wedding, and suddenly the gospel is, is, is just proclaimed in a way and people just can't quite grasp it. Except here, there's a physical change. They're just like propelled out. Because the Spirit is never content with simply filling a few people. The Spirit is the Spirit of life. And God wants to overflow out of our lives into the lives of those around. And so that's what we see here. 
these disciples, full of the Spirit, just move. They go out. They become infectious with the life of God. It's an extraordinary thing. We get the sort of beginning of a hint of it in the very next verse, verse 5. Now they were staying in Jerusalem. Okay, we're no longer in the house. Can you see that? Now we're in Jerusalem, all right? So they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews, from every nation under heaven. See that? Wow, things are opening up. Can you, can you see that? We're not just, in the, in, you know, not just in the room now thinking about making coffee. We're actually talking about Jerusalem and then every nation under heaven. This is opening up big time. And that reference to under heaven is really interesting. Remember when the ascension happened and Jesus left them? And the disciples were left sort of staring up into heaven. And the two men who appeared there said, why are you staring up into heaven? The Lord Jesus has gone into heaven and will come back from heaven in the same way he left. Can you see that language? And we said a couple of weeks ago that it was precisely in order to help them to realize that, that the call now is for them to be agents of heaven on earth, not just looking up there. And our passage begins on the very first verse. It says suddenly, they, um, when the day of Pentecost came, um, the... the um, the tongues came and the, and the wet, that's right, sorry, I was, I was looking for it there. Verse two, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. And now we're in Jerusalem and there are God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Can you see that? This is the perspective the Spirit has. The Spirit is, is concerned with, with God's domain which is always bigger than our boundaries. Always wider, broader, deeper, higher. Always going further. And if the apostles and the disciples on that day had to, had to sort of begin to define a strategy, they would not have thought of it in the way that it worked out. And so God had brought all these people from every nation under heaven. And they were there. And there's an extraordinary explosion of joy. In fact, we, that's our second window. Our first window, do you remember? That was into Ezekiel with his vis, vision of the dry bones. The second sort of window we have here is, is, another, is another sort of passage right back in the beginning of, of the Bible. Do you remember the passage of, of the Tower of Babel, that sort of mysterious story? Do you remember that? Genesis chapter 11. What's going on there? Well, well we, have, we have an amazing sort of picture, as it were, of what happens when humanity sets itself up as its own God. Because the passage tells us that they were all there in some sort of unified thought, almost a totalitarian regime, actually, because that's very much the image we get when we look at that passage. They've all got there with a unified thought, one way of thinking, and they want to make a name for themselves. So they decide to build a tower that will go where? up to the heavens. And there's a lovely touch in that passage in Genesis 11 where it says that these people were all trying to build a tower to touch the heavens. And, and then it says, God from heaven looked down. <laughs> I love it. It's like God's so much higher than anything we could possibly attempt to do. You know, God's looking down and he has to get his mi you know, microscope out and his magnifying glass. Oh, look, they're doing something tiny down there. And then God comes and to punish that sort of self-absorbed desire that humanity has 
to put itself in God's place and to, and to put ourselves at the center of our own existences and to remake everybody else in our image. God scatters them and gives them different languages so they'll no longer be able to understand each other. And, and, and so differences of language become a form of separation and don't we know that in our day? And what is beautiful is that the day of Pentecost something completely opposite happens. Because there is one focus now and it's not human endeavor, it's God's name. Because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so the Lord is in the center here and his spirit is being poured out. And what happens? Not one unified thing where everybody resembles everybody else. We've got wonderful diversity and suddenly those nations and those, and those languages which otherwise were separated by cultural barriers and linguistic barriers, suddenly those barriers become means of grace. Means of incarnate, incarnational mission. You understand what I mean by that, yeah? That suddenly God speaks to them in their own language, which is of course what Jesus did all the time. Jesus comes to us and meets us in our own situation and speaks our own language and shares our pain and loves us to the end. And he, he chose when he was here physically to come to one per people in one place. He, incarn he was incarnated. He became flesh in a situation. But by his spirit, he now reaches out and he meets us all wherever we are and he speaks our language. And the, the amazing thing is that the people of God, when they're filled with the spirit, not only can they, can they breathe, it's not just respiration, but it's also inspiration because they can now relate and speak in the language of others. They can go out and connect because the spirit is helping them to understand where the connections are so that we can just be ambassadors and begin to relate to others and, and speak out God's word in their, in their way, in, in their language. Because God is like that, he's always going out and language is no longer a barrier for him, it is a means of mission. I love that about St. Barnabas. We just had the French speaking service, French Connect. Isn't it lovely that we can be members of one body and speak different languages? And that language can become a springboard for mission as we reach out and love people. Of course, language is just a symbol. You understand that, don't you? It's just a symbol of who we are with our different gifts and, and different ways of seeing things, our cultures. And the Lord enters into those and redeems them and uses them for his glory. So the amazing thing on the day of Pentecost is that when the Spirit comes and is poured out on all of them, they all have tongues of fire that come over their heads, but none of them speak the same language. In other words, it's given differently to each one. The way the Lord fills you and the overflowing of the Spirit's gift in you will be different from you. You understand that? And you'll be able to do things you didn't think you could do before because they hadn't learned Arabic in school. And the Lord will, will open up new opportunities you never thought possible, but they won't be the same opportunities as the person next to you. And our problem is we're constantly in this Tower of Babel logic where we all want to look the same. And when somebody else is doing something great, we want to be like that person, we want to follow that person, when actually the Lord's calling is for us to do something different here. Yeah? And then we suddenly see that our differences become an extraordinary expression of God's generous spirit. 
So God gives them life, but God inspires them in a really extraordinary way in this passage. And that's the reversal of this curse that's on humanity ever since the Tower of Babel. Suddenly life, Spirit's life has been translated into love. Oh, I'm sounding like the, the preacher from last yesterday. I better stop. Um, and so much so that they are drunk. They're seen as drunk. I love that. And then we have, a, we have another third window, and this is the last window in our passage into the Old Testament, and, and, uh, because it just keeps on coming, this fullness. This time the third window is a prophet called Joel, who he also was, was longing for the day when the Spirit would be poured out. And he, in, in, his, in his prophecy, he says that, that in the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Amazing. Do you see, the Spirit isn't just given for respiration, that's life. Not just given for inspiration, but given for proclamation so that we can speak the words of God. Friends, yesterday when... Um, the Reverend, what's his name? Michael, Michael Curry spoke. Today the papers are trying to explain the power of that in terms of the fact that he was a black gospel preacher. It was just different, eccentric. But we know why it was powerful. Because it was prophetic. It wasn't the exuberant way he spoke, it was because he was speaking the gospel with prophetic authority. And so people listened. Friends, when the church is full of the Spirit, it becomes prophetic. It says things with an authority that, that doesn't come from itself. When we are full of the Spirit, we don't just come alive. We don't just see connections. We're able to speak life into people, into people's lives around with an authority that does not come from us. You know, our message is not ourselves. We preach Christ crucified. But as the Spirit comes, prophecy is when the Spirit enables us to speak into specific situations so that they touch people's hearts. The words, just the right words at the right time, that's prophecy. And it goes straight to people's heart. That's why the, I think it was powerful yesterday. Because he was the right person at the right time speaking the words of God with the authority of the Spirit. And people can't put words on it. They, if they don't know the Lord, they can't explain that. So they'll use different ways of explaining. But I honestly believe that God gives to his church opportunities. And the question is, are we full of the Spirit? So we can seize those opportunities. He gives you and me opportunities. The question is, are we full of his spirit, not just so we can have a good experience and our heart can be warmed, but so that we can speak in the language of other people with an authority that God gives that will be life transforming. Friends, our church needs that. Because if we're going to touch the neighborhood, if we're going to bring people into the kingdom, if we're going to transform our city, if the church in this land it's going to have any impact. It will not be because we're clever. That is what we saw yesterday. It will be because we are clothed with power from on high and are able to speak and act with authority as prophets. 
And I think today the Lord is calling prophets. He's calling us to be prophetic. And to do that we need to be full of his spirit. So there's the third window, Joel. Joel who, who, who anticipates this moment when, um, when it, it won't be just the ordained people or just the preachers or just those who've grown up in the church or just the old, it'll also be the young. It'll be men, it'll be women, it'll be free, it'll be slaves, it'll be everyone. The spirit will be poured out across the board and everyone will be able to prophesy, see visions, dream dreams, hear the Lord, speak life. Bringing God's word to the moment, bringing God's kingdom in, in the way we do things, the way we speak, believing that when the spirit works, lives can change. Not, not through us, but through the spirit. What amazing fullness, you see that. Do you understand that, that Pentecost is about being filled with the Spirit, but not for us, yeah? It's so that it can overflow to others and then overflow beyond, beyond, always further. And that's how the world is changed. I love the fact that at the end of this passage of, of Joel, Joel gets, his vision is so big as to what God wants to do that it doesn't even stop with the transformation of people. He says, not only will they prophesy, but then he says, I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. Can you understand that the Spirit's program is to change the, 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 the world? Is to renew the earth. And it will happen when heaven and earth come together. And that happens when the Spirit is released. Heaven again, do you see that? Another reference to heaven coming and touching earth. Wow. Well, here's where we end. This is such a big picture. There, there might just be a danger that we would think in that, wow, that I'm just, we're nothing. <laughs> and that's where this last verse in our passage is just so wonderful. Because the passage ends here. And verse 21, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Don't you like that? This is all encompassing and then suddenly we come down to the every one. I love it because it's every one who calls on the name of the one, the Lord. And after this, Peter in his message is gonna start straight away on that one. Who is this one? And he says, fellow Israelites, the man Jesus. That's where it is. It all happens because of one, Jesus, who calls one, you. And every one who calls on his name will be saved. And of course the one is also the one outside, everyone. Doesn't matter on our, what, what skill set we have, what background we have, where we come from. Here's an amazing promise, everyone, everyone, but everyone. And so today here we are, Pentecost. And the promise is for me. Sorry guys, it's for me. But it's also for you. It's for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. The Spirit is there.
to bring us alive, to fill us with his good things so we can be inspired and then to equip us with prophetic authority to speak out in the world where he places us. Isn't that amazing? And there's always more. So let's call on him, shall we? Let's just have a moment of prayer. Of prayer.